Christmas present was a stuffed dragon. Um, the Mako Maker. Um, my Megatron. The Walkman train set. Well, my favorite Christmas present is that I got is like I got this airplane kind of thing. Which is like a a a. Something machine that makes that your markers. Yeah, something that makes a machine that makes your markers. My favorite Christmas present is Legos. No, it's like it's not like one of those remote control ones. It's like one of those ones that you have to put together. We open presents on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Christmas morning. Maybe Christmas morning. Christmas Day. Christmas Day. That means both. Christmas morning. No. No. <laughs> what do you think? Sometimes. I, no way. I do. No. I get up early, but she doesn't. <laughs> I don't like getting up early. Sometimes if we're too excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll get up at three. My favorite part is about how he was born in a barn. Jesus was born. And Jesus is born. You know, those were all kids from our 95th campus. They got a lot of kids down there. And I, I thank God for children all year round, but particularly at Christmas, it seems that their joy, their passion, their sense of wonder helps us enter into the, the true meaning of Christmas, does it not? And that's what this series, Wishlist, is all about. It's trying to help us get our hearts and minds around the true the profound meaning of Christmas. We've all got wish lists, things that we want, yet we fail to realize that the gift of Jesus Christ is ultimately the gift who brings everything our heart longs for deep down. In this series, it's just three weeks, and we're looking at how the gift of Jesus Christ coming at Christmas brings us joy. That's what we looked at last week. Today, we're, we're looking at peace, He brings us peace. And next week, hope. And this whole series is out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Because in that chapter, we find a poem. Again, uh, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the Spirit of God fell powerfully on this prophet named Isaiah. And God put a poem in his heart and in his mind. And this poem reveals the true meaning of the birth of the Messiah. In fact, the poem's called The Poem of the Royal Birth Announcement. Just seven verses. And we're studying them all because they describe to us the true significance of the birth of Christ. So, with that said, let's dive into this message on peace. I wanted to start by just confessing that I am really bad at officiating weddings. Uh, you may be surprised by that and say, wow, Jeff, you're like a talker up front. I'd assume you'd be real good at that. It's the responsibility that kills me. You know, there's this formality, you know, where you got to get all your words just right, you know, and I don't know, it's just really hard for me. The, the bride tends to look at me with those eyes that are saying, this is the most important day of my life. If you screw this up, I will kill you, is essentially what she's saying. And, and the weight of response, you know, officiant of a wedding is a very important part. If he doesn't get it right, 
There's a lot of bad memories, if you know what I mean. And so that responsibility just weights me down, and I I tend to mess up. One of the things that I mess up, (laughs) a real bad thing to mess up, I I frequently, under the pressure, forget the names of the couple getting married. (laughs) I mean, I'll know them well sometimes, but under the pressure of the moment, boom, they're gone. You know, and there was one wedding, I actually had to walk over to the best man and just say, what's their name? He's like, (laughs) and he was, what do you mean? The bride and the groom, what are their names, you know? And he's like, come on. I'm like, tell me quick, you know? And he's like, <laughs> because of this problem, I relate in a painful way to a movie clip that, if you'll allow me, I'd like to show you. I shall now ask if you freely undertake the obligations of marriage. Bernard, repeat after me. I do solemnly declare. I do solemnly declare that I know not of any lawful impediment, that I know not of any lawful impediment, why I, Lydia, why I, Bernard, sorry, why I, Bernard Godfrey St. John Delaney, why I, Bernard Jeffrey Syndrome Delaney, may not be joined in matrimony to Lydia John Hibbert. May not be joined in matrimony to Lydia Jane Hibbert. Lydia, repeat after me. I do solemnly declare... I do solemnly declare... That I know not of any lawful impediment... That I know not of any lawful impediment... Why I, Lydia Jane... Hibbert, Why I, Lydia Jane Hibbert, may not be joined in matrimony. May not be joined in matrimony to Bernard Jeffrey Sijan Delaney. To Bernard Jeffrey Sijan Delaney. I call upon those persons here present to witness. I call upon those persons here present to witness that I, Bernard... Delaney... that I, Bernard Delaney, do take thee, Lydia Jane Hibbert... do take thee, Lydia Jane Hibbert... to be my awful wedded wife be my lawful wedded wife. That's right. That's right. May Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Bravo! Tell me if you were officiating a wedding, you'd mess it up too. Am I the only one? Can you imagine that pressure? It's terrible. Well, maybe you can't relate to the responsibility of officiating a wedding, but I'm guessing that you've got responsibility in your life and you've felt the pressure. 
Maybe it's raising kids, you know. You, you look at these three or four or five or two or one, and you say, I don't know what I'm doing. I am responsible to raise up this child in the ways of the Lord, to train them to be a victorious follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm making it up as I go. You know, this is not going well, Lord. Please help. I see trends in their lives that are quite disturbing. Responsibility is, is very heavy. Or at work. Maybe your job is one where you feel the responsibility. You've got a boss who's coming down on you, making it clear that you are not fulfilling their expectations. And that pressure is on. It's crushing. Or you've got customers at work who have expectations and they're not pleased. And they're letting you know. And you feel it in your gut, that pressure. Or maybe, for me, it's a church, you know. As I look to my responsibilities here over a multi-site church, the, the weight of responsibility can keep you up at night, make you very anxious. Maybe you've got a ministry here at church that you've been called upon to lead, and you sometimes ask yourself, do they know who they asked to lead this? Because I don't know what I'm doing. This is too much for me. I think of uh, some of people who've got aging parents who are, you know, really struggling health-wise, and you find yourself responsible for caring for those aging parents. And again, you're like, ah, this is too complex. I'm, I'm over my head. Students here, this is a tough season for you, isn't it? You've got exams coming up and final projects that are due, and it can be overwhelming sometimes to say, how in this last week am I going to get it all done? Responsibility weighs on us. It reminds me of a statue I have. This is a statue of an ancient Greek mythological god by the name of Atlas. Do you remember the story of Atlas? Atlas was in service to the great god Zeus, and he had failed him. He was disloyal, and as a result, Zeus punished Atlas by making him carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. Do you ever feel like Atlas? <laughs> Do you ever feel like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders? Do you ever feel like this stuff is crushing you? It's weighting you down? Well, folks, Christmas is a time where the Lord wants to bring us peace. How can people find peace in a world where we're weighted down by countless responsibilities? That's a very good question. And to find the answer to it, we've got to look at our passage, Isaiah 9, specifically verse 6. Grab your pew Bible, if you would, and it's in page 542, if you want to look there. And I want to read the first part of verse 6. We're only going to be looking at verse 6. It says this, first part of 6. For a child is born to us. That's Jesus at Christmas. A son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. This is such a powerful verse. Would you allow me to elaborate and expound on it? First of all, it's really important to see the connection between the birth of Christ and us. This verse makes it so clear that this child is born for us. When you look at the baby in the manger and ask, why? The answer is you. <laughs> you are the reason he came. He came for you. In fact, He's a gift. A son is given to us. He's a gift that God the Father gives to each of us. And that begs the question, what 
significance does this gift have for us? Well, the verse goes on. It's a gift to us in this, that the government will be on his shoulders. And there's much uh, speculation in the ancient world, at least, as to what did that mean. And unfortunately, some of the old uh, Jewish people back in the days of Isaiah assumed, and it's understandable, I suppose, that this reign, the government, would be limited to the nation of Israel. The people expected that the Messiah would take over the government of Israel as king. And that's one of the reasons that many, if not most, of the Jewish people rejected Jesus as Messiah, because he did not ascend to a political office within the country of Israel. And yet we know that God's vision for the Messiah was far greater than simply being the ruler over a small country on the Mediterranean Sea. The reign of the Messiah was to be king of kings and lord of all lords. He has come to rule supreme as king over the universe. The Christmas baby has come to take the government on his shoulders, but it's the government of the whole universe. Government is the responsibility to lead. That's what, by government, that's what it means there. And so Jesus, the one born on Christmas, has come to bear the responsibility of providing leadership, kingship, to the whole universe, the world. And one of the things I appreciate about this verse, it says that the government will rest on his shoulders. That shoulders imagery points, the verse is pointing to the fact that the responsibility to govern, to lead, is a heavy weight. Just as a weight is placed on your shoulders and you feel the heaviness of it, that verse is saying, we know the responsibility is a heavy burden. And the verse promises that the one who was born to us on Christmas has come to take that burden off of our shoulders and transfer it to his own. Because think about it. If he's come to be Lord and King of the universe, that includes you. You're part of that universe. He's come to take over your life. This Christ, born on Christmas morning, has arrived to enter into your life and take over. And folks, when we begin to understand the implications of lordship and weight of responsibility, this is one of the most glorious truths in the world, that we are no longer responsible to bear the weight of responsibility on our shoulders. Jesus is Lord of our lives. And he says, put that on my shoulders. I've come to take over. Your job is simply to follow my lead. I thought maybe a concrete example would be helpful. And so I read the story of a guy from Pittsburgh that I found very helpful. I'd like to share it with you. His name is George McCausland, and he was the director of a YMCA in the suburbs of Pittsburgh. And his YMCA was not going well. The weight of responsibility of being the boss, the director of the YMCA, was crushing him. The YMCA was losing membership. It was upside down financially, and he panicked. 
he threw himself into solving this problem, thinking that maybe greater hours will turn the ship. And so he was working 80 hours a week, living at the YMCA, night and day, just working, 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 frantically trying to turn it around. And the weight of responsibility was killing him. He started to show physical manifestations of panic and started to worry about his own health. So he went to a doctor who analyzed him physically and heard about his lifestyle. And this doctor got in his face and said, George, you're going to die. You can't live this way. Your responsibility, your way you're living, the way you're carrying it all, it is killing you. You are going to have a full-blown nervous breakdown if you don't make changes immediately. And George, you know, started to realize that he had a problem on his hands. So he did something very uncharacteristic of his lifestyle. He took an afternoon off, and he grabbed his Bible and his prayer journal, and he went off to the woods near his house, and he sat at a picnic table, and he spent the afternoon seeking God, begging for help, saying, God, my life is imploding. I can't handle this anymore. And he wept, and he read, and he prayed. And God met him in that moment as he sought the Lord. And the Lord spoke to his heart. And God, in a sense, said essentially this, that, George, you're acting like it's all about you. Like I'm not part of the picture. George, you're not the director of the YMCA. I, God said, am the director. It's your job to simply do your best in obeying me and let me bear the weight of responsibility. And George, you know, feeling this conviction from God, he grabbed a fresh page of his prayer journal and he wrote an official letter. I love this. He said, Dear God, I hereby resign as general manager of the universe. Love, George. And he closed it. <laughs> Some of us need to write that letter, huh? George said this, And wonders of wonders the Lord accepted my resignation. <laughs> I find that imagery of resigning so helpful because so many of us have been viewing ourselves as responsible. We've got to take care of it all. Some of you are control freaks and you're hyper-responsible and the weight of responsibility is killing you. And the best thing you can do in recognition of the one who has come to take over is to say, I quit. I hereby resign as general manager of the universe. And the Lord, with great joy, will accept your resignation and say, now you work for me. And the Lord will say, this area of responsibility you've been freaking out about, God says, it's now my responsibility. It's, it's your responsibility to obey. In fact, let me, let me just clarify this. God's responsibility is success. Our responsibility is obedience. God says whether or not this family, these kids, this ministry, this job, whether it soars or fails, God says ultimately is my responsibility. I am the Lord, the king of this area. Your job is very simple. Obey me. Do what I say and trust me to do the rest. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Folks, this... This shift, it may, to some of you, seem subtle or insignificant. I'm telling you, it's enormous. 
if you begin to live in recognition that the Christmas child has come to reign in your life and in every area of your life, this immense weight will come off your shoulders. And you say, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to this goofy church called the Compass Church. I'm not in charge. You are, Lord. I may have the title senior pastor, but I know I am simply your humble servant. And I'm going to obey you each and every day as best as that you enable me to do. And where it goes, it's on your shoulders. You're the Lord, the King, not me. It's a glorious way to live. And yet, we don't do it, do we? We, we try to. We say, oh, yeah, here you go, Lord. Here's control. Oh, and we take it back. Uh, we, we say, oh, yeah, you're the king of kings. And we, we why? Because deep down, we won't say it, but I'll say it. In your heart, you think you'll do a better job than he does. Deep down, you're like, yeah, this is give it up to God. Let him be responsible. He's going to drop the ball. I've got to take over. That's crazy talk. Do you really think you are better at the job of being responsible than God is? One way of saying it is that Jesus and you are competing for the same position. There's an open job, and there are two candidates. And you're the one saying, sorry, Jesus, you're nice and all, but I'm going to win. I got that job. I'm better at it than you are. Do you think so? Let's compare resumes, shall we? Let's, let's spend just a little time, you know, when, when I'm hiring, I, I look at resumes, I look at qualifications and try to figure out who's most qualified. And as this verse, verse 6 of Isaiah 9 continues, the resume of Jesus Christ is revealed. There are titles that are given that demonstrate his qualities, his strengths. And let's compare them to you and me and let's see who's more suited to be the general manager of your life, shall we? So what, what are they? The first is this. It's, it's the verse starts, or the, I'm sorry, verse 6 continues. These will be his royal titles. The first is Wonderful Counselor. What, what does that mean? That means that our Lord has wisdom to dispense. As a counselor, understands and can guide people well. So Jesus is described as the wonderful counselor. He knows what's best. We sometimes think we do, but just think about it. Our knowledge of the situation is limited. He is omniscient. He knows all. We don't know what situations are going to come in the future. He knows exactly what challenges are coming our way and what preparations are needed in order to face them. He sees opportunities that we are blind to. He is all-knowing. Our knowledge is so limited. When it comes to functioning as counselor, he is way better than any of us. Well, the, the next phrase after wonderful counselor is mighty God, mighty God. And I suppose that the word God refers to the divinity of Jesus Jesus is not just a normal king. The one born, Isaiah 9, 6 says, will be called God. But mighty refers to his divine strength, doesn't it? So Jesus, we just saw, is superior in wisdom. He's also superior in strength. Jesus can handle any problem that comes our way. We look at our problems and we say, 
I'm overwhelmed. I don't think I can handle that. And you know what? You're right. You can't. You are weak. No offense. So am I. But compared to Jesus Christ, he is not intimidated by anything. The most enormous problems in our lives, Christ says, I'm sorry, but this is small potatoes compared to what I have dealt with. I am the founder of the universe. His might is incomprehensible. He is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. We are not. Let's go to the next one. So after uh, mighty God, we see that he is also everlasting Father. Now admittedly, for us who seek to understand God through Trinitarian language, this becomes a bit confusing. Speaking of Jesus, the Son... It's referring to him as the Father. And we're like, what's going on here? What's important to understand is though we refer to God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the term Father here is not used to try to differentiate him from God the Father, but rather the term Father is used in this case to point to an attribute of his heart. You see, a father is a leader, but a father, a good father, leads with compassion and love for his children. There are some bosses who are distant and careless and emotionally separated from those they lead. A good father loves. I remember my daughter was in a soccer team and the coach was, you know, all puffed up and he was a tough guy. All right, soccer players, you listen to me, I'm your coach, you know. And, and he did a good job, but he was playing the authority big time. Well, one of the little girls uh, on the team was his daughter. And in one game, she took a ball right to the face and went down. And suddenly, this tough guy burst onto the field and ran to this soccer player and picked her up in his arms and said, Honey, are you okay? Are you okay? And I thought, that's God. He's the boss. But he has the tender affection of Father. He wants to lead, not out of arrogance or posture, posturing his own importance. He wants to lead out of love, and a love that will not end. The passage says, the everlasting Father. The Lord adores you and wants to lead out of his love and best concern for your life, both today, tomorrow, a year from now, for all eternity. We will bask in the tender affection of Almighty God as he guides us, leads us out of love. You say, I care about myself. Let me be in charge. You don't care about yourself as much as he cares about you. His wisdom is superior. His strength is superior. His love for you is superior to your own. And that brings us to the last one where it says that he will also be called the Prince of Peace. Well, what this means is that his ability to bring peace is remarkable, that his skill, his expertise is in bringing peace. A prince of peace would be a leader, a government leader, who was known for being able to deliver peace to his people. And similarly, the one who comes at Christmas is a glorious prince with an expertise at bringing peace to the hearts of his people. And do you know the Hebrew word that's translated peace? That's shalom. Maybe you've heard the term shalom before. 
It is such a rich term. Shalom is that state of being where you can say, it is well with my soul. Where you can breathe deep and smile from the gut and laugh and dance and sleep well at night. Because you have shalom. You have serenity of soul. You want that? There is one who is known as the Prince of Peace, specializing in bringing this to his subjects. You're not the Prince of Peace. That's not your specialty. It is his. And so when you look at this resume of who this one who has come to take over is, I think you begin to see with me the folly. When I say, Jesus, I got it. The Compass Church, I'm the senior pastor. I'll take care of it. Come on. Let him bear the weight of responsibility. Look him in the eyes and say, that's it, I quit. I I resign, hereby resign as general manager of the universe. It's your job to take care of this area of responsibility. It's my job to simply do my best to obey and trust you to take care of the rest. I... uh, just Thursday, I, I, was, I was with a pastor, and uh, I had never met this guy before. We were having breakfast together, and he started uh, getting very vulnerable. It shocked me, quite honestly, being that he was, we were strangers until this breakfast. I couldn't believe that he was sharing with me the pain in his own life like he was. And he started opening up about how difficult it is being a pastor. He's a church-planting pastor, so he's trying to start a new church. And he said, it's not going well. This core group, are they're not rising up to serve with the passion that I was needing, and they're not giving with the generosity that's needed. And I don't know if we're going to make it. You know, we're still at that breaking point. And I could just see the weight in his eyes and hear it in his words. And he admitted that he's of a nervous, anxious personality that struggled in his past with this, and he's struggling again. And I felt the Lord prompt me to preach the sermon. I'm like, well, I can try it out on him. Let's see if this works. And so I I said, hey, can I share with you what I'm going to be teaching on in Isaiah 9-6? And I told him about George McCausland and his resigning as general manager. And I looked at him and I go, you're you're acting like this church is all your responsibility. You got to quit. Resign. Give it over to Jesus. And just simply obey. And he got this weird look in his eye. And he said, Jeff, can I share with you? I had a dream about you last night. (laughs) And I'm like, well, that's kind of strange. How can you dream on me? We've never met before. And he's like, I know, but I think our meeting was on my mind. And so I dreamt about you. And I go, what'd you dream? He said, I dreamt that you fired me. (laughs) And he thought, he goes, I thought that was the weirdest dream at the time. But now I realize that I think God was in that dream. He said, you are firing me, aren't you? (laughs) And I said, well, it's your choice. But I strongly advise you to resign because it's killing you. Can I do the same for you? I'm not firing you, but I strongly advise you to resign. It may be that the weight that you've been bearing is killing you. And we're not supposed to be in charge. He has come to bear the weight, the government, on his shoulders, not you. 
Give it up. It's fun being a subordinate to Jesus Christ. All you have to do is obey. Do your very best. Trust the results to him. You know, when I was at a restaurant a while back, a different restaurant, I was with a, a group of guys at this point, and uh, something absolutely horrible happened. I don't know if you've witnessed a car accident before, but this restaurant was on a busy road, and we were sitting by the window, and all of a sudden we heard this screeching, and I turned just in time to see a head-on collision. It was awful. And it was immediately evident that there was not only horrendous damage to the cars, but that the drivers were in bad straits. I saw blood coming down the face of one of them, and everybody, everyone in the restaurant just gasped. Uh, shortly, the manager of the restaurant stood and shouted out so everyone could hear, Folks, we, we uh, want you to know that the paramedics have been called. They are on their way to respond to this accident. Be comforted. And that brought some comfort, but it was weird seeing, you know, these drivers, you know, writhing in pain with nobody helping them. And it got too much where I got out of my seat, as did another guy I was sitting with, and we ran out of the restaurant he went to one of the cars. I went to the other. What am I going to do? You know, I was pre-med back in college, but I didn't learn anything that was helpful in a moment like this. I, I saw that she had put her head through the windshield, and her head was cut deeply. And I, I saw a T-shirt that was there, and I placed it gently on her head and provided just a little bit of pressure, hoping to slow down the bleeding. And I rubbed her back, and I whispered to her, the paramedics are going to be here any minute. You're okay. You're okay. And she, her breathing was labored, and I, I didn't know what to do. I, I felt responsible and yet so ill-equipped. I didn't have what was needed as far as knowledge and skill to meet the responsibility. It was an awful situation. It seemed like an eternity, but eventually, as I rubbed this gal's back, I felt a tap on my shoulder, and I turned and saw a paramedic standing there saying, thank you very much, sir. I'll take over from here. It's been said that Christmas is the glorious arrival of one more qualified than ourselves. And I think that's true. And that's what this was, the glorious arrival of one more qualified than me. Can you imagine the folly if I would have said, no, no, I started this, I'll take you over, I got it, I'm going to finish the job here, you go away now, sir. I mean, that would be crazy. Of course, with great gratitude and relief, I stepped aside and let the one who knew what he was doing take over responsibility. And yet, some of us, you know, the Christmas child, Jesus Christ, has been born. He has come to rule. He has come to your life and mine, and he's tapping you on the shoulder, and he's saying, thank you very much. I'll take over from here. And we box him out, and we say, no, no, Jesus, I got it. I got to go help somebody who really needs your help. He's the master when it comes of being king of kings. Don't make that crucial mistake. Jesus has come for many reasons. One of them is to rule your life. 
to bear the weight of responsibility for all those arenas that have been crushing you. Let him in. Resign. In fact, I'd like to close in prayer. And I pray that you will end this resign. Say, I quit. Because those who do, they will find that this Christmas, the words of Isaiah come to life for them, that they are words that sing of great joy and hope. If you have resigned, hear these words. For a child has been born to you. A son has been given to you. And the government of your life will rest on his shoulders. And these will be his royal titles. He is Wonderful Counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Shalom. Lord, we want to pray right now and quit. Lord, so many of us have been just dying inside, viewing ourselves as the ones in charge of our lives. And Jesus, we recognize why you've come. And right now, we hereby formally resign as general managers of the universe. Accept our resignation. Rule supreme in our lives. In the big areas and in the small areas, you be the king. Jesus, we want to obey and follow your lead and trust you to take care of all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.